You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Hi. Okay, so my name is Isaac. For anybody who hasn't met me yet, I've been here for six weeks, but there's bound to be some people, and of course, we've got visitors uh, from America. Uh, I am a student. I'm studying at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Um, I'm on a placement here. And t- today is my last day. So this is the last time you'll see me uh, for a while, probably. Maybe ever. Maybe they won't invite me back after this. Um, so I'd like to open in a word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, as we uh, preach your word, may your Holy Spirit be among us. May your Spirit give us uh, wisdom and revelation so that our minds and our hearts may be opened so that we may know the hope that Christ has called us to. Lord God, please settle our hearts, settle our minds, help us to concentrate for this short period. Help me to speak uh, the truth, uh, your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The main text for today is going to be Luke 15, uh, 11 to 31. Uh, that's on page, I think it's page 1049 in the church Bibles. Yeah, 1049 in the church Bibles. So we continue our series on, on the parables. The main text, verses 11 to 31. But I want to start off and I want to read uh, verses 1 to 2 first of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now to understand the parable of the prodigal son, we've got to understand these two verses first. Because this is the context in which Jesus' response is set. So, so who are these people in the first two chapters then? Well, we've got tax collectors and we've got sinners. And they were the dregs of society. They, they were the low of the low. And I've spent the last week doing a little bit of first century history, trying to work out who these folk were and, and what impact do they have on the story. Now, we've all heard of tax collectors. We've all heard uh, that they were, uh, well, most of them, a lot of them were, were, were dishonest. They were greedy. Uh, they took more taxes than they needed, needed to to line their pockets. But perhaps we tend to overlook what they stood for. The tax collectors collected the taxes for the Roman Empire. And most of these taxes, some people say up to 90% of these taxes, funded the Roman army. And the Roman army were a bloodthirsty, oppressive pagan organization uh, who, who, who would beat back and who would kill anybody who stood out of line, anybody who threatened the Roman Empire. So these tax collectors, who were usually Jewish, uh, they were greedy and dishonest, but they also funded this tyranny uh, and this slaughter. So the second group of people are the sinners. And, and we're going to read this and we're going to say, well, yeah, of course the sinners, because everybody's a sinner. But to the first century Jew, uh, these sinners were a particular class of people. 
Uh, they, were, they, they were either sinners because of what they did. Um, they were prostitutes um, or they were uh, slaves. A sinner was, was the unclean. Sinners were also, they could have illnesses or deformities. Uh, the Jews would, would, would look at illness and deformity and say, well, this guy sinned and, and, and this is God's judgment on him. Or, or maybe his parents sinned and, and so this is his just reward. So these sinners were a class of people. Uh, who were defined by immorality uh, or deformity or illness. And both of these groups, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were both taught that they were outcasts, uh, that God hated them, um, that they were, well, they were banned from the temple. They couldn't make any sacrifices. And of course, one day, these people would have their, their own meeting with God, uh, but it wouldn't go well. You know, at the moment, they were temporarily uh, uh, under God's condemnation. And when they met God, well, they'd be eternally under his condemnation. So these people then, they never had any chance of God accepting them. Because of what they did or who they were, they had no hope. Now, we contrast these, uh, these people. It, the contrast comes in verse 2 when we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because they were the polar opposite of these tax collectors and sinners. They were good people. Uh, they, they, they knew that, that God loved them because they kept his laws, because they said their prayers, because they knew the scripture, that they were worthy of God's blessings. So when Jesus comes along and he sits with these sinners, the tax collectors, and he eats with them and he accepts them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law just don't understand this. This can't be the Messiah. This can't be the Holy One of God. Look at the company he keeps. In fact, with Jesus associating with these people, there is really only one conclusion, that he himself must be lawless, and he himself must be unholy. He, he must be cut off from God himself. And what we've got here in the first two chapters, then, is we've got two worldviews, and these worldviews are really going to set the course of our parable. The first one says, because of who I am, because of, because of what I've done or what I do, because of my personality, I'm just not accepted by God. God isn't for me. I'm not that type of person. I'm not a God person. How could God love me? And the second says, well, because I'm a good person, of course God loves me. I'm, I'm a good person. God loves me. I keep his commandments. I read my Bible. I pray. You know, I, really, I really stomp this. God accepts me. Earlier in Luke, and we haven't read this, but the Pharisees and the teachers of law complained to Jesus' disciples, and they say, why does Jesus eat and drink with sinners and tax collectors? And then Jesus answered them, and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This time, in response Jesus tells them a selection of parables, and today we're going to look at the, the, the third of that selection. And as we read this, I want you to remember where we are in Luke. Uh, this section, and broader section in Luke, between around, uh, well, the end of chapter 9 and, and, and up to around chapter 20, is what Luke calls, well, what we call the travel narratives. Uh, and and uh, at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sets out towards Jerusalem with his disciples, uh, and they arrive there at the end of chapter 19. Um, and he, Jesus knows why he's going. He's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. So bear this in mind, because although the cross may not be explicitly evident in this parable, 
it underlies everything. So we start at uh, uh, verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now the title of this parable is usually the, 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 the prodigal son. Um, but that's maybe a little bit misleading, and perhaps a more accurate title for this should be uh, the parable of the prodigal sons, plural, or, or uh, 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 maybe the two lost sons. The opening statement says um, there was a man who had two sons, so we got three characters in this story. Older son, younger son, and father. And the story opens up, and the younger son says, give me my share of the estate. Now, essentially, the son is asking for his inheritance here. What would have been coming to him anyway when his father died? And, uh, but his father's not dead. His father's still alive. And, and, and we might look at this and say, well, okay, whew, that's a little bit forward. But okay, okay. Um, but to the people back in the day, to the people back in the first century, this wasn't okay. In the context of the day, such a request only meant one thing. It meant, Dad... I want you to drop dead. I want my inheritance. I want my share of the estate, so I want you dead. Just out of here. Now, the significance of this is is sort of bolstered when you consider that the estate or the land uh, was not just land. It was actually family roots. So again, in the cultural context of the time, a person's identity and a person's security was tied to the land. In the son coming to uh, the father and asking for his inheritance, he has a total disregard for his family's belonging and identity and for his own belonging and identity. The son says, I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. I want what's mine. Dad, you drop dead, and I'm out of here. And the father does, we see from the text, the father does exactly what he asks. Now, this is strange as well, because again, in the context of the time, we'd expect the normal response to be, to be bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, we'd expect the father to really lose it. But instead, what we see from the text is the father graciously gives him what he's asked for. The father knew fully what this meant for him and his family and his soon-to-be estranged son, but he lets him go. The father allows the son to sever, to cut the relationship with him. Father, the son breaks the father's heart. It's not the other way around. And he goes on his way. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The younger son blows it. He's independent and he's free. He's living life. He's living life away from the father, but he ends up in the pits. He ends up as a pig father, a pig farmer. And, and can you, what an insult for a Jew to be a pig farmer. He sets out for freedom, but he ends up in slavery. 
And let's, uh, let's get personal for a sec, right? Let's, uh, let's try and put ourselves in this parable here. Are you sick and tired of living with your heavenly father? Are you desperate to be independent from God? You know, maybe you just can't wait to get out of this service and, and get back to real life. You know, all that stuff's waiting for you at home. Maybe you've got your wife, uh, your boyfriend, or your PlayStation or something. But you just can't wait to get out of here and get back to life. Or perhaps you're here today and you don't actually know your Heavenly Father. You don't know him, but you're living off his inheritance. All the stuff he's given you. You've got your house and your car, your money, your kids. You don't want him, but you really want his stuff. Now, all of us, all of us have this constant battle in our lives against the gods of this world. The idols in our lives. Uh, Love, money, happiness, uh, sex, jobs. When all these things become the center of our lives, when we love these things more than we love God, we're in trouble. When the lure of wealth and happiness drags us away or blocks us from our Heavenly Father, we're in trouble, and ultimately it leads to the pigs. It it causes us to be hungry, to be starving for something of substance, and we feed ourselves, we scramble around, and we latch on to things, status, appreciation, drugs, sex. We desperately try and feed ourselves with something that will satisfy us. But we're just filling ourselves with empty, and we just remain empty. Our sin, our want for independence, our want from independence of God, and our want for his stuff but not him, leads us to difficult places. And this is where the younger son finds himself, in a difficult place. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And it's funny how, it's funny how sometimes really dire situations in these situations that, that God uses these situations to point us back to him. The gloss and and really the the attraction of the high life has worn off for the young son. He's thought about his actions, he's realized his error, and now, by asking for for forgiveness, he's going to go back to the father, he's going to seek to be reconciled with him. But is he? Is Is this really what is happening? Is the son really showing remorse for his actions in these verses? Uh, Or is he just hungry? Is he just feeling a little bit sorry for himself? Now, I want to be really careful here. Because what we see in verses 18 and 19 is, in theory, a true and right picture of repentance. You know, the son realizes his unworthiness to go back to the father. He has nothing to offer him but to ask for forgiveness and to submit himself to his father's will. And this illustrates repentance which leads to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. 
But it's how the son gets to this point, and it's how we get to this point that can concern, that concerns me. Say, say you have an argument with your wife, or you have an argument with your husband. I know that never happens, but just pretend. You know, someone you love. And during that argument, you say some pretty hurtful things. And you know, you know there's a time that's going to come where you're going to have to apologize for saying those hurtful things. But what if you didn't? What if instead you said, I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this anymore because it makes me unhappy, so I'm sorry. Or, or, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm sick of being angry. I'm, I'm sorry for arguing with you because I'm sick of being angry. That's, that's, that's completely different from true repentance, isn't it? I've, it, it it's not I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. It's like I'm, I'm, sick of, I'm sick of being in the dumps. I'm sorry. The, the son's thought process here doesn't start with I've hurt my father or I've shamed my family. He says, hold on a second. I'm starving to death here. Well, all of my father's servants, well, they all have enough food. He's talking to himself, and he comes to the conclusion that, well, if I can get on the good side of my father again, I can have food. So his plan was not to go back to the father, or sorry, his plan was to go back to the father as a hired Slave is a hired servant. And the word slave in verse 19 in the Greek is not the standard word for slave, but it's the word for a skilled laborer. And so it's very likely that his confession here, rather than a show of remorse, is actually an attempt to get the father to convince him to hire him so he could begin to to pay back his debt, so he could earn his way back into the family. Let's, Let's read on. So verse 20 So he got up and he went to his father. Now, with questionable motives, perhaps. But nonetheless, he got up and he goes towards his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they begin to celebrate. The son comes back and the father welcomes him home. He welcomes him home like he's never left. Filled with compassion, he runs out to meet him. The Middle Eastern fathers of the day didn't run. They walked around in slow, stately, dignified manners. Women and children ran. So this is different. But when the father sees his son coming, he's filled with compassion. The compassion makes him run. So he's going to have to bunch up all his robes. He's going to have to show a little bit of leg, which was a humiliating posture for an elder of the village. Humiliating posture for a man. But he runs. He runs to his son. He throws his arm Around, uh, uh, around him. He, the father humiliates himself in front of the village. And when the son sees this display of, of, of humility, of selflessness and of love, he repents. The speech he prepared earlier on to manipulate becomes genuine. Realizing 
there's nothing that he can do to make up for breaking his father's heart. He doesn't offer to pay his debt. He leaves that bit out and he just says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The costly love of the father, the humiliation of reaching out to his son, and the joy in finding him shows the son the real issue. The real issue was not that he'd wasted all his money, but that he'd broken his father's heart. He caused him pain and he caused him sorrow in choosing the things of the world over his father. This was the, sin, the, the, the son's sin. This was the problem. And this is what he repents for. He says, I'm sorry for my actions that have caused you so much pain. The father accepts him back into the family. And the great thing is he accepts him back into the family not as a servant, not in order to repay his debts, but as a son. And he orders his servants. He dresses him in the finest clothes, the best ring, the best sandals. And you can see the extravagance and the wealth that the father pours out on the son. All the guests and all the elders of the village, all the slaves will know that this son, by the father's provision, has been restored to the family. And they celebrate. They celebrate what was once lost is now found and they celebrate. Can you imagine, as Jesus was telling this story, what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thought? That this sinner who had forsaken the father was forgiven and accepted back. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is why I've come. I've come to save the lost. I've come to, to, to find, to seek the lost and the helpless. If you're not a Christian here today, my question is, why are you here? Because you're interested in what goes on? That's okay. Because you like the coffee afterwards? That's okay. There are hundreds of possible reasons why you might be here. But whatever reasoning you think brought you here, that questioning, that hunger, that niggle you have in your head, in your mind, in your heart, it's God calling you. It's God calling you, ushering you into the fellowship of Christ, calling you into the kingdom of God. The younger son wanted to come back and be a skilled laborer. He came to the father with the wrong reasons. But he only came because the father was calling him. Because our heavenly father calls us. Some of us are living in pain and distress. Some of us are suffering because of the bad decisions we've made. Some of us are suffering because of decisions other people have made for us. Some of us are living... Like no one else is king. Like no one else is God but themselves. You, you can have all the toys and the trinkets. Uh, all, all the stuff that the world holds dear. You can have all of that. But if you haven't got your heavenly father, you're going to be empty. You're going to be restless. You're going to be discontent. If that's you, if you're restless, if you're discontent, then God is calling you. He's calling you into his loving arms. He wants you to see Jesus. 
He wants you to know that Jesus died for your sins. God takes the first steps. Jesus has paid the price. But the rest is up to you. Will you see the love of the Father? Or will you ignore the call? Will you refuse sonship, daughtership? Will you remain a slave? Let's read verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him uh, what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come because he has him back safe and sound. The older son became angry and refused to go in. <laughs> not happy, not not happy at all. And he's making his unhappiness known as well. He refuses to go into the house, into the party. And this was the height of disrespect for the father. The eldest son would have been expected, if not to go to the party to serve, to at least show up and shake people's hands, to to be seen. But he chooses not to go, to remain outside. And again, what a humiliation for the father in front of the whole village. In in this big celebration, what a humiliation. Verse 28. "And, And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered all of who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Now again, the father's love causes him, makes him go out to the son. The father doesn't have to go out to the son. He can just leave him out there. In fact, again, cultural context, we probably would have expected that the father sends some slaves out to just tie him up and deal with him later. Just get him out of here. But he doesn't. He goes out and he pleads with him. draws alongside him. The Greek kind of really brings that out in this text. He tries to to help him see the situation from the father's eyes. But the son says, look. Which, by the way, is an insult. You don't address the father as look. (laughs) You address the father as old father. He says, listen up. I have followed the rules. I've been so good. I've slaved away for you. Done everything. You haven't even given me a goat. A goat compared to a fatted calf would have been a bit like a a McDonald's burger compared to a four-course meal. He he says, you haven't even given me that. Now, verse 29 in, in the older son's speech is a bit revealing. And the older son says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. The older son is just as lost as the younger son was. Both were slaves. Both were separated from their father. 
The younger son became a slave due to his badness. The older son was a slave due to his goodness. They've both chosen the things of this world. One has chosen the wildlife, and one has chosen the law. And they've both put these things higher, more important than their relationship with the father. The older son's relationship with the father was on a sort of a pay-as-you-earn, pay-as-you-go basis. If I'm really good, if I work really hard, the father will shower me with all sorts of riches and all sorts of blessings. And this goodness-reward relationship, it's built from a lie. A lie that God only loves a particular type of person, a good person. And that somehow, if we try really, really, really hard, we can be a good person. And that's a lie. It's a lie. To the older brother, grace and forgiveness without some sort of punishment, it's just unthinkable. He wants justice. But the point is that repentance, it yields God's kindness, which wipes the slate clean. And this is a reason to rejoice. Justice means we get what we deserve. But we don't deserve forgiveness. We were, each, all of us, we were all lost. We were all in the exact same places as these guys, separate from our Father. And some of you, some of you were, were born practically re, you know, reciting the parables of Jesus. Some of you were born, well, some of you knew most of the Bible before you could shave, before you went to school. And you know, that's awesome. That's great. But that's all down to God's grace. Some of you, he saw in Sunday school, he saw in nappies, and he reached down and he took hold of you. He opened your eyes and he saved you. Some of us, he took a bit longer to save and we wandered for a while. We did some things we shouldn't have done. But he welcomed us back. He called us to him, and he welcomed us back with loving arms. And some of us, well, some of us aren't there yet. Some of us are still enslaved to the things of this world. Some of us still can't see that, that their moral performance is not the benchmark. Our salvation has nothing to do with how good or how bad we are. It's all to do with God's grace and God's mercy. The father reaches out in love to the older son. He says, my child, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found lost and is found. Now, does the older son accept the father's love? He's standing outside the party. Does he realize his need and does he repent? Does he realize what he's done? Does he go into the banquet? Does he go into the kingdom? Or does he stay outside in a huff? Now, we don't know because conveniently, Jesus ends a story there. <laughs> this, is, this is the cliffhanger. But he ends the story there for a reason. And that's because Verse 1 and verse 2, he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's not good people and it's not bad people who enter the kingdom of heaven. 
It's people who see who they truly are. And I'm going to end this now. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to stop rather abruptly. And, and this is going to leave some of you rather unsatisfied, I think. But there is a reason. I find it really difficult uh, to write this sermon for today. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I had, I had most of the pieces sorted out, I think. I just couldn't work out how I was going to present it. I kept, part of the problem was I kept identifying with the older brother. I kept looking for something to do from this text. What are we going to take away from this text? How can I, what can I say? I mean, last week we had the the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus says, go and do this. Love your neighbor. And I, I can get all over that. No, that's good. That's clear. But this week, there is no go and do likewise. And sure, we can pull an application from this text. We can pull an application, but I'm not going to. Because I don't believe that this is the main thrust of chapter 15 for us today. Chapter 15 for us today, this parable is not a command to action. Rather, it's a command to stop. It's a command to stop and look. Jesus says to the Pharisee and the teacher of the law, this is who I am. This is why I came. I came to call the lost to repentance, to save sinners like you and like me. This is the gospel. And I really think Luke 15 just wants us to grasp that. Not to do something, but to just grasp that, to stop and to think about who Jesus is. And to understand what this means for you and your life. Let's pray. Lord God. Lord God, how we thank you that you are a loving, gracious, and merciful God. That through your sacrifice, through your sacrifice of your son Jesus, you seek and you save the lost. Lord, we pray for the lost here today. We pray for the lost in this room, the lost family members that, that aren't here. We pray for lost friends. Lord, we pray that you will open their eyes to see that the freedom and the hope and the love that you offer, that you've offered through your son, Jesus Lord, fill us full of your spirit. Those of us who are your sons and daughters, Lord, fill us full of your spirit so we can seek the lost, so we can welcome the lost home. Welcome the lost home to you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. 
Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.